This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're unpacking some of the state-of-the-state proposals from Governor Kathy Hochul that will impact New York's health insurers, including a plan to eliminate co-pays for insulin in certain circumstances. To make sense of that idea and much more, we're joined in the studio by Eric Linzer, President and CEO of the New York Health Plan Association, which represents insurers in the Empire State. Welcome back to the show, Eric. Thanks for having me, Dave. So there was a variety of health care mandates in the governor's state of the state proposal, which uh, I have to imagine is a popular lever to pull as a, a government leader when you're trying to limit what the state is actually spending. Uh, but the biggest proposal of this ilk has to do with essentially limiting the out-of-pocket costs for New Yorkers covered by state-regulated health plans. What's your initial reaction to this idea with the caveat that we haven't seen the specific bill language for the proposal? Yeah, so everybody should be able to access the medications that they need. But the challenge here, Dave, is that year over year, drug makers continue to increase the, you know, the prices that, th- that they charge. This year alone, we rang in the new year with uh, price increases for over 500 different drugs. Last year, about 1,400. The year before that, in 22, 1,500 different drugs got price increases. And some of them are very significant without any kind of real uh, substantial changes in the clinical efficacy. Insulin's a great example of this. So this is a drug that's been around for over 100 years. Its Its formulation hasn't really changed during that time. And yet, we see significant price increases for, for insulin. GoodRx, for example, said that the retail price grew by almost 32% over the last decade. So when you start to limit or eliminate cost sharing on particular therapeutics, insulin in, in this instance, while well-intentioned, it doesn't really get at the underlying problem, which is rising prescription drug prices. So then short of a mandate on copays, like what we're seeing from the governor and like what the legislature has proposed before, what should be done to make medicine like insulin more affordable? Yeah, so there's a number of things that, that should be done. I think you know, one thing that didn't get probably as much attention as it should have at the end of last year was a law that Governor Hochul had signed that would require advance notice, 60 days notice, uh, by drug manufacturers if they're going to increase their prices by 16% or more. That's a really important thing to give consumers, patients, employers some advance warning for drugs like insulin, where you know you're going to use it for either acute or chronic conditions. But to give you a little bit of advance warning to be able to think about where might be be the best place to be able to purchase that, or do I need to think about generic versus brand? So it gives employers, consumers, patients the opportunity to pre-plan. That said, there's a lot more that could be done. Certainly greater uh, transparency and accountability for drug manufacturers around the prices that they charge. What goes into those costs? Is it merely labor ingredient costs, or are there other things such as you know, advertising, marketing dollars? Are there new changes as, you know, related to clinical efficacy? And then you know, about a half a dozen states right now are looking at proposals that would penalize uh, drug manufacturers for significant and unsupported prescription drug price increases when there isn't any meaningful value in the clinical efficacy. Those are some of the proposals that, or ideas that we think policymakers should be considering to get at underlying prescription drug costs as opposed to merely looking at dealing with out-of-pocket costs. And with regards to the disclosure law that you referenced that was signed in 2023, it seems like the real weight or heft of that has to do with the ability to 
almost publicly shame these companies for proposing hikes. I mean, it's great to have, I guess, forewarning and you can plan accordingly, but if you don't have the money to actually pay those hikes or you don't have other options, you know, you're out of luck. But it seems like having advance warning could potentially give policymakers, advocates, uh, grassroots movements a chance to push back and actually get them to reverse those increases? Well, there's a real lack of transparency and understanding as to what goes into those prices, Dave. Having some advance warning about it, I think, certainly could, you know, could help in encouraging policymakers, consumers, employers, purchasers push back on it. But at a bare minimum, giving folks some advance warning, I think, is really critical. And remember, for my industry, we're required to submit, you know, submit our rates well in advance of them going out into the market. There's a whole public process. There's an opportunity for consumers to weigh in and offer feedback before the Department of Financial Services ultimately approves the final rates. So there should be at least some sort of comparable process here for prescription drug manufacturers, as opposed to providing a blank check to Big Pharma. Well, coming back to the governor's proposal, according to her state of the state book, it would only apply to insurers regulated by the state. So do you imagine that most plans would be exempt from this mandate if it took effect? Well, about 50% of the commercially insured market is covered under a self-insured plan. This is through the federal ERISA law. Mm -hmm. So under federal law, they're exempt from state-mandated requirements. So a proposal like this really only has the applicability to about half of the commercial marketplace. But you know, as a result, it does create some potential for confusion for consumers and for New Yorkers as to what their policy might or might not cover. Well, back in 2020, the state capped insulin copays at $100 per month per prescription. What did that mean, mandate mean for insurers? I mean, ultimately, what it means is that you're taking those pricing, you know, those price increases, and while you're you're providing, you know, so, you know, some level of limitation for the the patient or the consumer on their out-of-pocket costs, those costs end up getting built back into premium and spread across the entire marketplace. So everybody, empl employers and consumers are the ones that end up picking up the cost of prescription drug increases and increases in the cost of insulin. If you had to choose, though, between the governor's more limited proposal, uh, with the caveat again that we don't know exactly what it will look like, and the legislation that's already kicking around Albany and past uh, the Senate, which would cap uh, copays at uh, I think thirty dollars per month, is there a lesser of two evils from your perspective? Well, I think you know any time that you're dealing with limitations or complete exclusions uh, of cost sharing ultimately means you're going to result in higher premiums. So even if, you know, even a, a limit of, you know, $30 versus $0, it's still going to have implications for the, pre, you know, the, pre, the ultimate premium cost. Well, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Eric Linzer, the president and CEO of the New York Health Plan Association, which represents health insurers in the Empire State. So as I mentioned at the top, this state of the state address and the budget that we're going to get from the governor are set against this backdrop where the state might not have a lot of money to spend. So if the state wants to look like it's being aggressive on policies, an easy way to do that is to pass along mandates. And I'm curious if there are other mandates, aside from the insulin one we've been talking about, that your industry is bracing for during this year's budget negotiations. Well, one of the things that the governor had, had proposed as part of her state of the state and had, had mentioned it you know, last week around addressing maternal health issues was a you know proposal that would you know eliminate any cost sharing around 
pre and postnatal care. We haven't seen the details on that. And it's important for us to take a look at it because plans are already doing a lot in this space around providing low or no cost services for individuals. You know, this you know, can include th- things such as arranging transportation to medical appointments, pregnancy and, ba- and baby supplies, uh, in addition to outreaching to high-risk mothers who, you know, to connect them with uh, community resources. So there's, I think we want to wait and see what those details look like before we get into more specifics on that with the understanding that our industry and our me- member plans are already doing a lot to support women and babies and high-risk moms. There is a line in the governor's speech about, quote unquote, going after insurers that flout our laws. Are there bad actors in the industry that need to be held more accountable? We don't think so. I mean, you know, I think you know, that was, I think, discussed in the context of some of the mental health challenges. And I think what's important to remember is that, you know, the challenges facing the behavioral health care system aren't unique to New York. They're not unique to the insurance industry. And they, you know, certainly have been exacerbated by widespread workforce challenges. You know, our members work hard to be in compliance with state and federal mental health parity laws. Uh, they work to ensure that their provider directories are up to date. But, you know, that said, we recognize more work needs to be done. At the same time, there is some onus on the part of other stakeholders in the healthcare system, particularly providers, to work w- with plans to make sure that information is accurate and up to date as it relates to provider directories. Well, you mentioned the issue there in your response. What the governor highlighted was this idea of parity as it pertains to payouts on the behavioral health services side. Do you feel like there's just a miscommunication that's happening, or is there some actual noncompliance with parity requirements? I mean, plans feel, you know, feel and they've worked certainly hard to be in compliance with state and federal parity laws. We've had ongoing conversations with various regulators about about issues, and we're st- certainly willing and committed to continuing to work with OMH, the governor's office, and, and others to ensure that members get the needed care and supports uh, to address their behavioral health needs. Our conversation is happening against uh, the backdrop of a broader effort that the governor has launched to overhaul, say, the delivery of health care in New York. She appointed uh, this big commission. We spoke with the chair on our program back in 2023. Any news coming out of that from your perspective as we speak on January 10th? Are you hearing anything? Is there any sort of movement one way or another? We haven't heard much as far as where the commission commission is at. Um, you know, that, you know, that said, um, you know, we're certainly optimistic about the work that they're undertaking. There's a lot of challenges that the healthcare system fit, you know, faces. And you know, at the same time, it provides an opportunity to think maybe a little bit differently about you know, the, the, the delivery of care, I think some of the things that the governor outlined in, in her budget that we're seeing in other states, such as, you know, more care at home for individuals to address some of the capacity challenges are things that we ought to be looking at. Likewise, some of the proposals there around interstate licensure compact to address you know, some of the workforce shortage challenges in New York are things that you know, probably need to be given a, a lot more consideration to ease some of the burdens that patients are facing. Outside of the governor's budget, there seems to be growing support amongst Democratic lawmakers for some sort of legislation that would carve out uh, health insurers from the delivery of home care services for Medicaid patients. What do you think about that 
growing push. Yeah, we really question the numbers that proponents have put out there. I think they've certainly cherry-picked the data using data specifically from the pandemic. We also think that the proposal fails to really look at and recognize the value that those managed long-term care plans provide to elderly, low-income, and disabled New Yorkers uh, for the services that they need. There's a lot of care and supports that our members provide to those individuals to ensure that they are able to continue to be safe and secure in their homes. And we think the proposal itself misses the mark. Could you elaborate a little bit on what that added benefit is? Because we've heard from some of the long-term care plans uh, about this in the past, and it doesn't really sink in for me what it is, but you know, you're know, you closer to it than I am. So, so what is the added bonus benefit? Yeah, so it can range from a variety of different things, So, you know, particularly around social supports, individuals who may have difficulty you know, leaving their home or may need some help at home, but also uh, helping to coordinate transportation to medical appointments, ensuring that they're getting vaccinations in some instances, particularly during the pandemic. You know, our members were helping those individuals to get vaccinated against COVID, flu, and pneumococcal vaccines, you know, in their home. And, you know, the proposal also fails to recognize that, you know, one, the high level of satisfaction that these individuals have with the, you know, both their plan and their care manager. Uh, The Department of Health's recent report looking at the MLTC program indicated that 90% of members are happy, you know, happy with their health plan. 89% indicated that they're, you know, happy with their care manager. And more than 75% of individuals got their recommended flu and the monococcal vaccination. So there's a lot of work that these plans plans are doing I, you know it's unfortunate this this proposal really I think fails to uh, you know accurately reflect what's going on in the marketplace but also I think their savings fail to recognize or, or sort of as I said cherry pick you know cherry pick a particular year to make you know, to make their case well unfortunately that's all the time we have we've been speaking with Eric Linzer he's the president and CEO of the New York Health Plan Association Eric thanks for visiting us in the studio thanks for having me Dave Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.